I need this fellowship as much as anybody does. Uh, so it's, um, to use the term sacrifice is, um, there's a cost, but there's a cost for all of us. And uh, the best things in life always come with a price tag attached to them, other than the forgiveness of our God. Um, I, I, want us to, I want us to look at a text that we did look at last Sunday uh, morning, 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I'm going to read uh, the first 31 verses. Um, as, as we're reading this, be reminded that uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that the things in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. And uh, we know from other parts of Scripture that all the Old Testament, the Psalms, the Prophets, the Law, all of it speaks of Christ. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, it's also written for our instruction, basically, he says, so that we would know how not to live. And he, he alludes to the Israelites and to others of the Old Testament. And he says, basically, don't live like they did. Be different. And here in 1 Samuel 15, we have an example of how not to live. All right, this, is, this is King Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, an episode in his life that proved to be his undoing, his ruin as a king, uh, and uh, led to disaster on every front. And so uh, let me read this beginning in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, just so you have history. This is referencing back when Israel escaped from Egypt, wanted to go through the land of Amalek. They, were, they asked for permission to do that. The Amalekites wouldn't let them do that, forcing Israel on this roundabout uh, journey. And God never forgot that act of defiance toward his people and disregard toward his people. He promised judgment then, and now through King Saul, he is, it is the time appointed for judgment and punishment, not just for that sin, but for many sins. So, verse 4, Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, the Kenites were people that lived within the, the area of Amalek, uh, but were not Amalekites themselves. Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction 
all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and, was, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you were or are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction to sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than the sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. 
So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. We'll stop there. Now we're going to stop right there. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, let's um, let me uh, get going here. All right. Let's let's talk about this text here a little bit. Um, and, and let me set it in some context. What we're trying to do in Iron Men Ministry and in Sunday Morning Fellowship is to meet a need that we're seeing in our lives for us as men to have Samuels in our life. We all need Samuels. We all need at least a couple of them in our lives, men of God and brothers in faith that bring to us a measure of accountability. Times when we need encouragement, yes, but times when we need to be brought up short, when in fact our lives are not as they ought to be, when in fact we are not walking in the kind of faith and obedience to which we have been called. This is a need that women have just as much as men do because it's a human thing uh, to, to hide our sins. It's a human thing to, to keep secret compartments in our lives, those, those places where there are just things that only we know about and we forget that God knows about. And, and Saul thinks he's gotten away with some of this and, and so Samuel steps in um, and I connected this past Sunday, we connected this text to another text, uh, Proverbs 28 and verse 13. I'm going to ask somebody who's been coming on Sunday morning, please recite Proverbs 28 and verse 13, please. Do it uh, nice and loudly and clearly for us. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them. Somebody else, say it again, loud and clear. Proverbs 28, 13. Listen to this, guys. This is, this is significant. Who's got it? Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the scriptures there are talking about material and physical prosperity. This is not some form of prosperity gospel we're hearing here, but prosper in the soul, Prosper in relationship with God, prosper in holiness, prosper in godliness. He who conceals his transgressions, he who hides them, he who covers them, he who goes into secrecy and hiding, he who conceals his transgressions shall not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them shall obtain Mercy. It's an amazing text of scripture, both for the conviction that it brings to us and for the hope that it brings to us. But we want to look at the conviction part of it here 
as we did this past Sunday. And want to draw from the example of King Saul and how he tried to conceal his transgression. There are, in this text, 1 Samuel 15, at least six sin-hiding techniques. And we have all probably used all of them. Let me, let me run through these, and you can take notes and uh, follow it up in your own study at, a, at a, another time. But let me just run through them really quickly, just so that we, we kind of are all up to speed as we move forward together. So sin hiding technique number one, I'm going to call fake spirituality. Fake spirituality. Spiritual flattery and cliché. We see this in verse 13. When Samuel came to Saul, Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. This is just good old ancient Hebrew cliché. Now, doesn't mean that every time somebody says, God bless you, they're being phony and hiding something. But, Saul is using cliche and flattery here to obscure his sin, to cover his sin, to give the appearance of holiness, to give the appearance of spirituality, when in fact he's in open defiance against God. You ever done that? You ever made sure to look spiritual and sound spiritual with others when there's been sin going on in your life? He who conceals his transgressions shall not prosper. Beware of fake spirituality. Number two is flat out lying and denial. In verse 13, Paul, uh, Saul says, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I, I've done what I've been told. It's a lie. Just a flat out lie. You ever lied to conceal your sin? Then there's partial obedience. Look at verse 20. Partial obedience is actually a cover-up for disobedience. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Was that true? Well, partly. Partly. He had done those things but not completely, and so he was covering up his disobedience with partial obedience, which is, again, something we humans do so very well. You know, we, uh, we do just enough to kind of satisfy our consciences and maybe keep people from noticing the things we're not doing. <clears throat> Saul resorted to partial obedience. And then there is one that is as old as time, blame shifting. He does this more than once in ways that if it were not so serious, it would almost be humorous. Verses 13 through 16, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
And Samuel said, well, what then is it? I, I love this. I just love Samuel. There's a little bit of godly sarcasm going on here. Well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Man, if you've obeyed the Lord, I shouldn't be hearing any animal sounds right now. They're, they should all be dead. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And Samuel sped up. At this point, Samuel said to Saul, stop. Stop. He tries to do the same blame shifting two at least two more times in the text. He is, he is blaming others. Trick as old as time. As old as Adam, as old as Eve, the woman you gave me, the serpent. So gentlemen, who are you blaming for the junk in your life? Let's get real here. What are common people, who are the people, what are the life circumstances in your life and our lives that we commonly blame for our own issues. Just shout them out here. Wife. Wife. If she would just love me or respect me more. Bosses. What's that? Bosses. Bosses. If he would just be, she would just be more just and fair and understanding. Kids, if they would just obey me the first time, the devil made me do it. Yeah. I mean, I believe as much as the next person in spiritual warfare, but brothers, the devil never makes you do anything. You choose it. I choose it. He may influence, he may tempt, but he doesn't make. What else? Parents. That's a big one in our culture nowadays. Blaming on dad and mom. Now, again, please understand, I know there are genuine circumstances that are heart-wrenching and heartbreaking that leave people scarred for life. No, no denying that at all. But brothers, we cannot blame others for our choices. There are choices. Anything else? Past trauma. I'm sorry? Past trauma. Past trauma. Now again, recognizing trauma is real and, and there are circumstances and traumatic experiences that can, can alter you and they can affect you and they can make, they can make choices very hard to make. Uh, but at the end of the day, choices are still being made. Let's, let's beware of blame shift. Anything else come to mind? Culture. Culture. Yeah. It's just so hard to live the Christian life in this world. It is. It is. Still our choice. Paul, uh, I keep saying Paul. Saul and Paul, those two, are, the two names always go together in my mind. But Saul, King Saul, was in the blame game. He was... 
He was just unwilling to take personal responsibility for his own choices. He who conceals his transgressions by blaming others will not prosper. Next, rationalization or spiritualization. Look at verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. That's pretty clever. Almost certainly a flat out lie, but it's a pretty clever lie. What's, what's Saul doing here? He's saying, well, Samuel, we have good intentions. We were going to take these animals and sacrifice them. We, we were going to make sure the Lord got his due. We were going to honor the Lord with these sacrifices. I said on Sunday, it's, it's like somebody who, who can't afford to buy a lottery ticket, goes ahead and buys the lottery ticket, and says when buying the lottery ticket, I'm doing this so I can give a lot of money to the church just rationalizing away a poor choice. Or a guy says, let me date or flirt with this unbelieving woman so I can win her to Jesus. Ever heard that one? Let me yell and scream at my kids so they can learn what they need to learn. Let me lie for my boss or cut ethical corners so that I can earn money to support my family. We rationalize. We Justify. He who conceals his sins through rationalization will not prosper. And then finally, uh, fake repentance. We humans are really good at this one. Look at uh, verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Notice he's not praying for pardon from the Lord here, is he? He's praying for pardon from Samuel. Here, I want your pardon, Samuel. Something wrong in this confession. Verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he, Saul, said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. What's going on here? Is this real repentance? How do you know it's fake? He's trying to protect his reputation. He's trying to save face. He's confessing just enough to try to wiggle out from beneath the responsibility and the embarrassment of his disobedience. This is not genuine repentance. How often we humans do this. We 
Oh, I'm sorry, I did. Oh, I really, I shouldn't have done that. Or, and we say just enough by way of confession to get people off our back, and then we move on. How different this is from David writing Psalm 51, where David cries out for mercy from the Lord. If you want to, if you want to read a text that teaches you genuine repentance, biblical repentance, uh, read Psalm 51. Against you. And you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, David says. And, um, and you, are, you are just when you judge me, David says. In other words, the punishment and the, the, the consequences for my sinful behavior are just. I have this coming to me. That's a mark of genuine repentance. Saul wasn't that way. Saul was saying, just enough to conceal the full sin of his sin. So Saul's six coverings, fake spirituality, lying and denial, partial obedience, blame shifting, rationalization and spiritualization, and fake repentance. Let me hasten to ask this question. What happens when there's real Repentance. Real change. Real change. You confess on, on our level. Whoever conceals his sins or transgressions shall not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. On our end, real repentance includes a resolve to change. On God's end, when he hears real repentance, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The promise of God is that if we are genuinely contrite, and have a broken heart. His mercy is poised and ready to be poured out on us. But we have a choice. Will we confess genuinely or will we conceal? Those, that's the big question for each of our lives, guys. Will we confess or will we conceal? And in order to help us do less concealing and more confessing, we really do believe that we need to tighten up and strengthen our relationships as brothers in the Lord. We, we need to be Samuels in each other's life. And that we're not quite sure how that is going to take shape over the long haul. We want to make sure that every man in the church has at least the opportunity uh, to be in tight brotherhood fellowship with other men. Uh, that certainly will begin uh, in our community groups where it's already existing structure for fellowship. That's natural opportunity for this, but uh, we want it to go beyond that. We want to ensure that this becomes a regular part of our life. And to that end, we need, uh, we need to figure out how best to coordinate that and, and pray for us as we try to work through uh, some of the, the logistics of that and try to, try to coordinate it in a way that it is a blessing for, for all the guys in the church. One of the challenges we have 
whenever there's a call to this kind of discipleship is that people tend to just be drawn to people they're already comfortable with and already friends with and others get left out of the mix. And so we, we need to think that through and think unselfishly in that regard and think what is the best arrangement for the most amount of guys possible. And let's, let's be praying about that. Pray that we'll have wisdom. But we also want to give you tools. And, and so this is, this is what I'm going to hand out to you now. If you could take, take, This is a, I have compiled here a list of questions. 28 accountability and care questions. And a number of you guys have already received this. Um, uh, you may want to keep this uh, in your Bible. Uh, you may want to keep it handy as a, so it can become a more regular aspect or part of your life. Um, I'm just going to very quickly read down through these and then give us a chance to actually do some fellowship in smaller context here. I just want you to get a feel. That you may look at this and say, whoa, 28 questions. Everyone got one? Okay. Um, you may look at it and say, whoa, 28 questions. I mean, every time we get together, we have to ask each other 28 questions. No, this is, this is just to draw from. This is, and it is to give you some insight into the kinds of questions that we need to be asking each other, or let me put it differently, that we need to hear from others. Um, we, we need these kinds of questions. So, just reading down through this, how is your heart? Or how is your heart with God? Have you allowed any person or circumstance to rob you of your joy? This next one is one of the questions we're going to do in smaller groups in just a few minutes. Have you learned anything about God, Christ, or the gospel that has made you love or reverence him more? And if so, what is it? Notice the tone of that is positive. It's grace-filled. It's, it's looking for evidence of grace and growth in each other's life. Spiritual disciplines. Have you spent adequate, meaningful time in Bible study and prayer? Are you disciplining your Sundays for rest and consistent weekly worship in your church? Do you get to bed on time and get up on time? How do you spend your spare time? Have you taken care of your body through regular physical exercise and proper eating? Family, fellowship, and friends, have you given priority quality time to your family? Are there any unresolved conflicts in your family and church family that you need to address? When and how did you last cross a cultural class or generational line to build meaningful understanding and peace? Church membership and mission, when did you last share the gospel? Are you active in a community group and caring for those in your group? Do you have at least one active ministry role in the church? Character and integrity, are you honest in all your words and deeds or do you lie or exaggerate? Have you broken any confidences or shared in gossip since we last met? Have any of your financial dealings lacked prayerful consideration and or ethical integrity? Temptation and sin. Have you been self-righteous or prejudiced, thinking of others as inferior to you, worse than you, or capable of doing more heinous sins than you could or would ever do? Do you grumble and complain often? What known sins have you committed more than once since our last meeting? 
What temptations have you met with and how were you delivered? Have you exposed yourself to nudity, swimsuit additions, or sexually explicit material? Have you been with a woman anywhere this past week that might be seen as compromising? How much time did you spend surfing the internet, gaming, etc.? Did your internet use lead you to temptation or away from it? Are you willing to have an internet accountability program like Covenant Eyes? What have you told us? What have you not told us that you should? Have you lied to us in any of your answers today? You know, it's interesting, um, the use of questions. Adam and Eve sin, and God comes to them with questions. Where are you, Adam? He knew where Adam was. He was giving Adam a chance to come clean. Samuel comes, what, what's the bleeding of the ear? What's, what's, what's with those noises on here? Jesus does this often. He asks questions. Even when he is asked a question, he asks the question in return because he's, he wants to give people a chance to think it out and, and have some integrity and some openness of their own. Question asking is good. In our community group context, guys, don't just do small talk. Yeah. Go into your community group with an intentional commitment to ask at least one brother one of these questions. Just do it. Just do it. What feels awkward at first will grow more comfortable with time and with practice. Uh, maybe except for those times when the person you ask doesn't want to hear the question. And maybe blows up in your face. Uh, that's going to happen sometimes. Love takes those risks and goes after it anyways. And trust that God is gonna give grace. And usually when you are loving that brother, uh, he will come back to you with gratitude. Uh, in your community groups, Sundays, yeah, make up your mind. There's, there's gonna be one brother, one person there on a Sunday that you're gonna ask one significant spiritual question. Uh, just to draw them out, just to talk about something more than sports or work or health or whatever. Um, we need to have a commitment, an intentionality about our fellowship that um, I think we can too easily lose. So can I commend this to you, brothers? Um, I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for us here to, to enter into a deeper phase in our life together as brothers in the Lord. Uh, and so let's, let's go after it. And let me pray and then uh, give us a chance to break up and uh, I think we still got a decent amount of time. Yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll gather together after we meet. Uh, we'll gather together at Dubai 55. Okay, good. So let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word, even when it convicts us, even when it um, challenges us. Like 1 Samuel 15, Lord, is like a mirror. We look in it and we see all the different ways that we have concealed our sins. Help us to not walk away from that mirror without the cleansing work of confession and repentance. 
forgiveness, but then a resolve to forsake the sins that we've been concealing. And to draw others in, Lord, so that we have a measure of Samuel-like accountability in our lives. Help us to be men. Our brother prayed earlier that we would be men who encourage each other and have courage. Lord, this is an area where we need courage. It takes guts, it takes, uh, it's risky to, to be vulnerable. It's risky to initiate this kind of fellowship. It's risky to be open to this kind of fellowship. Uh, give us courage, give us faith, help us to rest securely in the gospel knowing that in Christ no one can condemn us because God has justified us no one can, can separate us from your love. We are secure in the gospel and being secure in the gospel help us to be secure even when in conversations that may be a bit uncomfortable. Lord, give us grace and help us now in these next few minutes to put this into practice in a way that encourages and blesses the brothers. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I think the best way to do this is to maybe break into groups of four or five and just kind of spread out around the room here. The, the, question, the two questions that I want you to work with this evening are the third one, because I want us to start on a real positive note. Uh, have you learned anything about God, Christ, or the gospel that has made you love or reverence him more? And if so, what is it? Uh, and what we're thinking here, if, if there's consistent fellowship going on, uh, then basically what we're thinking is since the last time we talked, is there, has there been uh, something you've learned about God, about Christ, about the gospel that has just filled your heart? Just share that. You know, it's not always about sin. Uh, let's talk grace yeah. as well. Uh, and then the, the second question is down under church membership and mission. When did you last share the gospel or try to share the gospel and how did it go? All right, so, uh, and you don't have to, you know, sometimes it's good just to talk about those things, even to talk about the stumbles and the bumbles in it because it just, it gives encouragement to each other to realize, hey, we're trying, we're, we're in it together, let's pray for each other. Oh, you stumbled too, so do I. You know, it's, it's good, good to do. So, okay, let's, let's break up into groups of four or five. Those are the two questions. I think we have about 25 or 30 minutes to, to work with. Enjoy the fellowship, guys, and encourage and challenge each other, okay? Why don't we uh, break up like this, guys? Just